This is B2B Enablement, a Click.io podcast created to inspire sales and marketing leaders navigating digital transformation. I'm your host, Dave Carr, and on this show, we'll share actionable insights to build winning digital strategies and deliver better sales results with your customers. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 13 of B2B Enablement. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that is really close to my own heart, which is how to build a modern industrial marketing strategy. And I have a a great guest to join me today. She's a pro at this uh, and has recently really led a lot of modernization and change in her own organization for marketing. And I'm joined by MJ Peters, who is the VP of Marketing at Firetrace. And I'll let MJ do just a quick intro of herself, and then we'll hop right into the topic. MJ. Hey, everybody. My name is MJ Peters. I am the VP of Marketing at Firetrace. Firetrace manufactures and sells automatic fire suppression systems that detect and suppress fires that start inside of equipment. Like many industrial companies, we are selling through three different sales channels, OEM, distribution, and direct. I've been in this role for about two and a half years. And as Dave mentioned, we have done a lot of changing and moving and shaking in the marketing department. (laughs) Well, moving and shaking is always good. So uh, hopefully, no matter where you're at on your industrial marketing journey, we hope to leave all of you with some insights around if you're just starting your process of of taking your organization into a more modern marketing strategy, we'll talk about how to get started. We'll also share some insights on a little more advanced level. Um, But just to begin at at the absolute foundation, we'll start at ground zero. So when organizations are considering where to begin their journey toward building a more modern uh, marketing organization, how should marketing be viewed inside of the organization and what is marketing's role specifically at the executive level of the organization? I think it's a good question because I think a lot of companies are still figuring out what role marketing should play in their organizations. And I think a lot of companies define marketing very differently. When I started at Firetrace, marketing was very much viewed as a tactical part of the organization, which I think is similar to a lot of industrial companies today, where marketing makes brochures, marketing plans the trade shows, and and that was basically where the scope ended. And what we've transitioned to over the last two and a half years is, yes, we make the sales enablement material. Yes, we execute activities that support the strategy. But where I think marketing teams need to be going is in the direction of being deeply involved with the strategy beyond just execution to support the strategy, but actually bringing the insights about the market, the landscape, the technology, the competition, and the customers to really drive the strategic direction of the company as a whole. The best marketing departments are involved on that level. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And and it's easy to sit here and talk about that on a podcast, but to, to make that shift sometimes seems pretty monumental. And I know you've probably felt that in your role. Um, when you start to think about how you you begin to make that transition, and a lot of times where I think a lot of organizations get stuck is around how they structure a team or, you know, hey, we have a lot of ideas and it's easy to put that on a, a strategic PowerPoint or something to sit around with the board and talk about. But when it comes to the execution, the, the team dynamic is a really big piece. So 
how would you suggest structuring the marketing team within an organization? And how would you really set that group up for success in all of what they're going to be asked to do? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's three core functions of a modern industrial marketing department. The first is product marketing or strategic marketing. And that's all about going out to the market, understanding what customers need, understanding where there's product gaps and market gaps in terms of what's being offered to solve the problems you're looking to solve. Basically just finding opportunities for the company where there's a market need and the company is well positioned to meet it. That's what I define as product marketing. And that's the first core competency. The second one I call growth marketing. And that is basically amplifying your message about your value proposition that you bring to the right customers on the channels where they spend time so that you can generate opportunities for your sales team, regardless of the medium that you're going to market with. It can be traditional, it can be digital, it can be a mix of the two. That's where growth marketing plays a role and and that can combine a lot of different skill sets. And the third one is product management. And I don't think every industrial company includes product management under marketing. We do at Firetrace. And the way I think about product management is really the whole life cycle. So what are the new product opportunities? What is currently moving through the new product development pipeline? And is it going to meet the customer needs we defined when we started this development project? What's ready to launch and how are we supporting the launch of new products and making sure that not only does the sales team know what they're going out to sell, but is operations ready to deliver it? Is engineering ready to support it? Is the supply chain set up so that we can manufacture this? And then equally, and I think this is an overlooked piece of product management, end of life. So when it's time to phase something out and replace it with something new, how do you manage that effectively from the customer's perspective as well as the perspective of your manufacturing and and your finances. So product marketing, product management, and growth marketing are the three core functions. And then once you know what the size of your team is going to be, then you need to figure out how to resource all three of those areas effectively given the constraints of your organization. Yeah, great point. And so when you began that journey at Firetrace, did you restructure existing teams? Did you go out and did you hire new? Did you use agencies? Combination? Yeah, it's a combination. So when I started at Firetrace, we had a really big gap in strategic marketing. So we were doing the growth marketing stuff. Okay. I think we could have been doing more in digital, which has been a journey for us as well. But really the the area of marketing that we were doing nothing in at all was strategic marketing. So that was the muscle that I went out and built first. And it actually started with a training, which was a great cultural kickoff. We brought in a consultant who specializes in helping organizations become more customer centric. And I'll share with you what we spent on this because I think it highlights the the importance of the point. We spent $20,000 training our team over two days. And the team included people from sales, marketing, and engineering teaching people why is it important to bring customer insights into the business and how do you do it from a process standpoint, breaking it down into actionable steps. 
And then from there, we had two team members go out and try to do it themselves for the next couple of months and kind of report back to the board of directors on what insights they were finding in the market. And eventually we hired a third person and moved one of the two people originally in the product marketing role into a different role in the organization. So we tackled product marketing first. We tackled growth marketing second. I had to change out one of the team members because the per, what I was looking to do required a lot of competence in, in digital marketing that we just didn't have on the team when we started. And so I made a, a new hire and I, I went with the generalist. So there's a lot of specialties in digital marketing. There's SEO, there's content writing, there's design. I went with the generalist because I wasn't quite sure which specialties were going to be key for us long-term. And the person on my team who's now in charge of most of our marketing operations and content can kind of flex into a lot of different roles. So that was helpful for us as we grew. And then finally, probably... 18 months in, I want to say, was when we finally addressed the product management piece. Up until that point, I was doing it myself and uh, finally got to create a permanent uh, product management role in charge of the life cycle. Yeah. It's, and it's interesting you talk about also the difference in the generalist and, and specialties. And, you know, and I have personally, I've written articles about this. I've talked about this in other podcasts, but, you know, um, a good, good friend of mine, Lori Sullivan, has really always pushed me to think about the idea of the T-shaped marketer, right? So if you have, you know, general general understanding of a lot of things in the organization, and then you have the really deep depth in, in certain specialized fields, um, I think that's a, a big uh, problem that a lot of industrial organizations run into when they think about building their teams. Because yes, at a lot of levels, you can get by at the beginning with with more general approach, but then owning and really excelling at those those deep specialties. Like you mentioned SEO. SEO alone, and I'm sure anybody that's listening understands, you know, that that is a, a black box of magic that really takes, you know, specialized people that understand how to to get those things done. Um, but I do think it's important, you know, I've I've always been a fan of, you know, done is better than perfect and and one is greater than zero. So taking the steps to move even if you have to find general um, people on the team to fill those roles as you begin to put all the building box in, in place. Um, but you, you mentioned something there that I want to circle back around to. You talked a lot about putting the customer and the market sort of in the middle of that view. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you think of voice of customer within your organization? And, and I personally have always been of the opinion that marketing is the voice of the customer within the organization. Um, but what are your thoughts on how to place the right focus on that customer voice? And then how do you get those insights delivered back effectively into the organization? So making sure that you have the right focus for the insight is a big challenge. I think the first tip that I would give to anyone is when you're going out to get customer insight try to set up conversations where the objective is not a sales call, but where the whole objective of the call is just for you as a marketer to learn what the customer really needs. And that'll allow you to structure the conversation in a way that will bring the most insights forward. And when you're thinking about how to structure your marketing insight calls, you want to start broad and then zoom in. And what I mean when I say start broad is the first couple of questions you ask your customer should have nothing to do with your product. 
You should really aim to understand what they think are the most important elements of their job because it'll help you contextualize your message to them. And it could help you uncover what I like to call latent needs, which are basically needs that your customer has that they don't even know that they have. So in order to do that, you can ask them questions like, in the course of your day, what is a challenge? What is less than ideal? What causes frustration? And although the answers might not be directly related to your product, you'll start to discover what is really keeping these people up at night, which might unlock a product opportunity, a positioning opportunity, a partnership opportunity. And it really is marketing's job to find those opportunities and help the company position themselves to take advantage of the best ones. Whereas it's going to be sales's job to sell and position the products you have today. So that's why I think it's important to have these conversations outside of the context of a sales call. And so that you can get the right level of insight and structure the conversation appropriately. In terms of how to get them into the organization, for us, the most effective mechanism has been utilizing our regular board of directors meetings to give the managers in strategic marketing roles across our organization a platform to share out what they're learning and how they're applying it and what resources they need from the rest of the organization to effectively capture these opportunities. But if your company doesn't have kind of a regular board meeting or similar meeting like that in place already that you can use as a platform for those discussions, I think it's a really good thing to set up just a regular cadence where the right stakeholders can hear the insights that marketing is uncovering through their work. I could not agree more. Uh, the alignment's important, and I'm sure marketing and sales alignment as well, and we'll probably touch on that more as we go through, but just getting back to sort of even how you work to get those insights inside of the organization. You said very specifically, don't treat it as a sales call. And I totally agree. You know, the moment that you approach a client where they think that there is, you know, an ask there, it's a totally, totally different dynamic. It's going to put people out of their comfort zone. So first of all, kudos to you guys. I don't think nearly enough industrial companies take the time to do that honestly and regularly. Um, you know, I, I spent so much time of my career in that world as well. And now that I'm in the SaaS side of the world, I mean, we that's part of everything we do. We're constantly A-B testing and talking to our clients. And I, and I, if I could go back, you know, seven, eight years, that's the best advice I would give myself is talk to your customers more. Imagine that. It's you learn things. Um, but when you approach that inside of your organization, how did you get those meetings lined up? Did you work with sales? Did you did you did you create a list of cold call with these people, your existing customers, your prospects? Yeah, it's it's really hard. So this is one of those things where I have to give the disclaimer that it's way easier said than done. And working with sales is probably the first thing you should try because sales can open doors for you, especially with those customers that they have good relationships with. But it's also a bit of a trap because when you're doing this, you don't only want to talk to your friends. You want to talk to customers that may have cooled off on you, customers that you might not be selling to today. And that probably requires some cold calling, especially if your organization traditionally has not done customer research like this. So I 
in every organization I go to, I'll actually subscribe to LinkedIn Sales Navigator, which is a prospecting tool, or that's what it's made for. But it allows you to search really in depth all the profiles of everyone on LinkedIn, and you can find specific keywords. So if I'm looking for customer insights on a specific segment where we want to sell more product, I'll go in there and I'll find everybody's profile on LinkedIn that contains the word CNC machine, for example, if we're looking to develop our business in precision machining. And I'll just send the maximum amount of in-mails or I'll go use a different sales tool to find their email address and and just simply send them an email. Hey, I'm doing some research. We're looking to improve our products for customers like you. Would you be willing to spend 20 minutes to share your experience. And and then this is the golden line that salespeople don't get to benefit from. I'm not trying to sell anything. (laughs) And (laughs) you're, you're being honest. So, and still people won't always take your call, but if you send enough of those emails, you can get five, six, seven, eight calls on the books. And that's really all it takes five, five to eight calls in order to start really spotting trends and being able to, to build effective strategies. Yeah. The, the best point I heard out of there is is making sure that you're not falling into that trap of just talking to your friends. And I think that's one of the most dangerous things. And that's any marketer in any industry. It's the getting the tunnel vision of not looking out broader to those that may not necessarily be your advocate um, to, to get those insights. So again, kudos to you guys on, on doing that. Uh, let's shift our chat now over to think about, you know, marketing channels. And so we've you know, talked a little bit about how to get started, putting the customer in the middle of that, how to sort of structure a team. But how did you go about determining the most effective channels for your business? And then once you did that, how did you begin to scale that strategy? So what we do in order to identify whether or not a channel will work is we start running experiments on the channels. So I think with a small team, you can only pick one or two channels at a time to experiment with. And by the way, I think marketers need to start thinking of events as a channel because I think a lot of industrial companies have their marketing team trying to do two or three events and also asking them to succeed running four or five different campaigns on different channels. Totally I think agree. If you actually want to produce good results on any channel, you should really only be doing like two at a time, especially if your marketing team only has one or two people on it. And you have to acknowledge that events is taking up people's bandwidth. So know that if you're not going to say no to events, then you're saying no to being able to do another channel really effectively. So we actually pulled out of a lot of events when I first started at Firetrace to give ourselves the bandwidth to to test other channels. And we started out with SEO and paid social as the two channels that we wanted to experiment with. And SEO is a very intent driven channel. So when somebody's searching actively for the answers to questions, and that's a buyer that's probably farther along in their buying journey. So we started creating content to capture some of that uh, bottom of the funnel or middle of the funnel type of demand. And then at the same time, we were reaching buyers on paid social who were not actively buying because being on Facebook or being on LinkedIn is not a buying signal. And so we had to, you know, experiment with different kinds of content that would get people interested in our products when they weren't actively looking already. 
And so we picked a couple of segments to, to try that out in. And, and we were running some long form content and some video content and just seeing what worked by correlating it back to the kind of inbound pipeline and inbound opportunities that we we're seeing coming through our CRM. And uh, as we saw what was effective and what was not effective, we kind of scaled things up and scaled them down uh, over time. And it's just kind of continuous improvement from there. I think one of the most important things that so many marketers miss is sometimes the most important thing to do is to say no. And, you know, I forget who pinned the quote, but, you know, there's a great saying that the creative process is not done when there's nothing left to add. It's done when there's nothing left to take away. And I feel like so many marketers, especially in the world of, you know, 7,000 plus MarTech systems that you can possibly choose from to, to do any number of things, it, there's so many different things that can be done. The most important thing is is just saying, what are we not going to do? And then pick a couple of things to try and learn and scale, test, and then figure out where you move next. Uh, your point about events, spot on. I think that so so much of marketing historically within or industrial organizations has been around events. And by the way, like I would also put chicken biscuit counter days as events. I would put lunch and learns in that category of events. And I think there's so much powder that gets used on those activities. And I'm not saying that they're not important. If you do them intelligently, yes, they can be important. But when you compare that to the type of outcomes you can drive through SEO or the type of outcomes you can drive through paid ads and paid social, um, there's huge, huge upside. And it could easily spend a whole another episode talking about, you know, ways that you can can optimize either of those strategies. I think both of those are a great place to start. Um, but in regard to those channels, and I made the comment about MarTech, you know, the elephant in the room for, for so many industrial B2B companies is technology. And I think there's all different camps. You've got the camp of, okay, well, let's just throw money at everything and put a bunch of systems in place, but not resource them or not have a strategy. And just buying technology is going to fix the problem. So that's one issue. You have others that are just terrified of technology. No, we're not going to use that. You know, CRM is going to make all of our salespeople go away. It'll make our company collapse. So there's all sorts of problems that that companies are trying to overcome. Um, what are your thoughts on the tech stack? How did you guys start? And then when did you begin putting in tools after you had those other foundational elements in place? I've found myself giving people advice very often that says, start working on the tech stack earlier than you think you need to. And my experience has been that having an effective tech stack, in particular, I'm thinking about your website feeding information to your CRM and then Google Analytics. Like, it doesn't have to be complicated. Website, CRM, Google Analytics. Having that in place has accelerated my knowledge and the knowledge of the product marketers and other marketers on my team about the customer. Because, for example, every single morning, one of the first things I do is log into HubSpot CRM and see the 10 leads that came in overnight. And I'll just poke around, oh, this one's interesting. This is in a market that we're trying to generate demand in. Did they consume the content and, and come into the funnel the way that I thought they would? Or did they come some other way? And is there anything I can learn about this customer based on their contact form submission that I wouldn't have known before? Because the salesperson's you know first 
thing that they're going to do in the morning is not tell me everything that they learned from customers the day before. But this is a way that your marketing team can keep tabs on what customers are saying and what's working and what's not working. So if you don't have the tech tool in place, you're immediately putting yourself at a disadvantage where you're going to have to find things out more manually and it'll happen more slowly. So I like to make sure that your website is set up to play nice with any tech tools. And then I like to get the CRM in place and I like to make sure that my Google Analytics is set up properly within six months of starting a new marketing role. And you might inherit a fully functioning tech stack, but you might inherit, like I did, a very old outdated WordPress website that's about to crash and burn. <laughs> and, and so it's good to start getting, start thinking about this stuff day one in the job so that 90 to 180 days in, you've got something that's actually helping accelerate the rest of your marketing effort. Yeah, that's a, a great point. And and two, I think when you're thinking about what you know what to do earlier than than later, uh, you mentioned HubSpot. We're, we're a HubSpot house as as well. I love HubSpot, um, but but if you had to pick one, I would also encourage something like HubSpot. And especially if you were a you know an SMB or a mid market size kind of business, anything less than about a billion. I mean HubSpot can do so many things. And, you know, it's a CRM, it's a marketing automation tool, it will manage your social, it'll manage your paid ads. Um, you basically described my morning. That's exactly what, what I do every day. I get up, I look at my dashboards and, you know, we have a lot of things, a process built into our reporting so we can know how to route leads internally in the organization. So would 100% echo the, you know, start earlier than later and start with something that can do a lot just right out of the box. Um, you know, I think one dangerous thing is when you start putting all the bolt-ons, right? So it's like, hey, I want to add a drift chat bot or I want to add some other sort of social listening tool or whatever. And then you start getting yourself confused with with spending effort there. Um, how would you say, I know you mentioned that the, the website was a, a bit of a, a challenge when you originally came in. Um, what about like with HubSpot? Were you able to come in and pretty much start making a dent early on or were there things that you had to do to really tailor that tool to fit your process? We definitely had to tailor the tool and we made a lot of mistakes at first, but we kept going and eventually the right metrics to measure surfaced and the right fields to ask the sales team to fill in surfaced and we were able to kind of get rid of the stuff that wasn't doing us any good. But that I would say is another argument in favor of starting earlier rather than later. Cause I mean, I think you mentioned earlier, the CRM is going to make our sales team quit. <laughs> and, you know, that's an overreaction of course, and you meant it as one, but, um, you can't ask your sales team to spend their whole day in the CRM or else they'll go crazy. So you you need to minimize the number of asks of people in terms of making the technology work. So it's nice to be able to start with, okay, this month you need to put all of your deal names, the amount and the close date in. And then next month, now I want you to put the application. And then you do it step by step. And 12 months later, you've got a robust, clean data set. But it's good to start early so you don't have to feel like you rush it. Because if you rush it, you're going to break the people part of the technology people process triangle. You will always break the people part. And and that's it's so smart, again, to think about that step by step. Um, 
you know, I've heard Simon Sinek say a lot of times, like, you know, the way that you have great dental hygiene across your entire life is not to brush your teeth once for seven hours. It's to brush your teeth two minutes a day, every day. And it's like, oh, wow, that's simple, right? And just to take those small steps toward, you know, how do you enable somebody on your sales team to use a CRM? Um, and, you know, one thing too, you know, when, like for, for instance, our business and we provide sales enablement solutions, a lot of times we enter into conversations with potential clients who may not even have a CRM or if they do have a CRM, they're having a lot of challenges with it. And, you know, one thing we always try to talk about early on is, you know, the, the best way to make our software successful is to go ahead and get your foundation laid. And we've even, you know, in some cases, you know, turned folks away in terms of making leaps because it's simply not set up to be successful. And so once you get those little pieces in, then you can start to take those extra steps and, you know, be more advanced. Uh, sales enablement tools are a great way to do that. You talk about CRM. That's a great way to kind of pull in your salespeople where they're not having to spend all their time in CRM. The tool can do it on their own. Um, but, you know, okay, so let's kind of move that on. So let's say, you know, you've, you've got your tech stack set up and running now. You're ready to start focusing more on data and analytics. And I think, you know, again, going back to that modern marketing strategy being so much guided by data and insights, you know, what sort of metrics did you begin to place focus on? Uh, how do you view those data points in terms of attribution? And how did that help you grow your effectiveness as a marketer in the industrial space? I think the beauty and the challenge with modern MarTech tools is you can get a ton of data, but if anything, there's too much data. You have to figure out what data is actually going to be useful and even if you understand the meaning of every single data point, which most people don't, you still can't effectively manage to more than two or three metrics, in my opinion. So this is where I kind of don't believe that much in attribution models. So last touch, first touch, linear attribution, all this stuff, because whenever I look at the results that get spit out to me from an attribution model, whether it's the one inside of HubSpot or, or we use a tool called Demand Jump that gives me attribution models, I always think of it, look at it, and I think, this isn't what's actually happening. You know, like why 25% of this customer's interest in our product did not come from this landing page. You right. know, they, it can be very they, misleading. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think the the big, you know, just technical challenge with attribution is you can't get it across devices. And like 90% of our paid social traffic happens on people's phones. And so, you know, they're scrolling through their Facebook feed, they see our ad, and then they see another ad from us like three weeks later, and then they see another piece of content like four weeks later. And then two months after all that happened, they Google Firetrace, and then it gets attributed to organic branded search. But it wasn't organic branded search. It was paid social media that influenced them like six times before they ever converted anywhere. So it just isn't attribution models are not to the point where they can give you the whole story. So I just kind of tune them out. And so we really only measure to two metrics, and those are inbound dollars of opportunities. So that's the total amount of dollars in the pipeline that are from marketing sources, regardless of what the marketing source is, be it paid search, organic, paid social, et cetera. And then 
number of opportunities in the pipeline from marketing sources. And the first metric is my favorite one because it quantifies your total marketing impact. But I also look at the second metric because in some markets, especially when you're doing marketing on paid social, you can't control the deal size. If I'm marketing to people on anything other than I know this is a list of 10 enterprise accounts and I'm targeting them, I might create a $3,000 deal and I might create a $500,000 deal and how I change my marketing is not going to affect that. So if that's going to be the case, then I should be measuring number of opportunities to measure effectiveness in addition to dollars of pipeline. Because if you create big opportunities versus small, you're just getting lucky. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're spot on. And, and two, the example you gave on on brand search is is very typical. You know, you and especially you, you, you talked earlier about intent. SEO, very high intent. Paid social, not a lot of intent. When I'm scrolling Facebook or LinkedIn, like I'm not just sitting there thinking, you know, I need to buy Firetrace material or, or sales enablement or whatever it is. And, and you're right. I think that good marketing in a world of data has to be reminded that not everything has to have a metric in terms of the overall journey of that customer. And, you know, data previously said 70% of the, the customer journey happened before they engage with sales. You know, post-COVID, I'd say that's probably higher than 80 but the the journey a customer has with your brand through an article that they engage with or a paid ad that they that they see or any other sort of engagement all that does add up over time and it may be a trigger like you know googling your brand which hey if if that's what happens you won as a marketer you did your job but the attribution model is not necessarily going to tell you what the whole story is so again i and i'm i'm in agreement i think that keeping metrics simpler is better and, you know, what you take into the boardroom should only be a handful. Now, granted, what you track every day, you know, and we do, we look at our, our bounce rates, our average time on page, you know, click throughs, all of those things. But to me, a lot of those are just leading indicators and they're things that you can look at to either to A-B test or to get some general idea of how effective your campaigns are working. But if you go into a boardroom and you throw up a chart with click through rate and, you know, average cost per lead, it's, you know, those, sometimes those metrics are not what upper management really needs to understand to, you know, effectively determine where marketing is being effective. Um, so as we kind of get ready to wrap up here, I know we've talked about a lot of really good things in terms of how to build your team, where to start MarTech, some, some ways to track data. If you could think of the big three things that you would want to leave the audience with in terms of takeaways, what would those be, both short and long term? So the first one is that effective marketing is not just communications. And industrial companies are at all different phases in terms of how they're thinking about marketing. But some companies, and I would venture a guess to say most industrial companies, are still thinking of marketing as brochures and trade shows. And the best companies that are taking advantage of the, of the competitive advantage that good marketing creates can are thinking about marketing in terms of strategy. And when marketing drives strategy, strategy is also a more effective driver of marketing. So you can take better advantage. The second is the digital opportunity in the industrial space is huge because again, there's a lot of companies that are still focused on those traditional marketing methods, which 
again, we kind of, we kind of talked about how they can be effective, but one of the problems with them is that they're just very discreet, you know, like that, that show happens once a year, maybe once every two years and it costs a hundred thousand dollars. And the flip side of that is using digital marketing strategies and technologies. You can reach those same customers every day on the social channels for far less money or, you know, for the same amount of money over the course of the year. And I tend to think that reaching people with bite-sized messages every single day, like the toothbrush example, is going to be more effective than meeting them at a trade show once every 24 months. And then the last one is just, there's a ton of technology out there that can help you accelerate everything from your customer insights to how quickly you can reach the right customers with the right message. But at the end of the day, it's all about fundamentals. It's about understanding what your customer wants. It's about keeping your message simple it's about being disciplined about what you measure and what you're doing. And it's about really, again, taking away the stuff that's not working rather than trying to keep doing more. So I think the, the teams that understand how to apply the fundamentals really well and just use technology as an, an enabler are going to be the ones that win at the end of the day. Do less, but do it well. I think that to me, that is one of the the biggest takeaway points there. And it's, it's just such a challenge, especially when you consider that so many organizations in that space have been doing things in a lot of cases, 20 years, 30 years. And it's really hard. It's really hard to stop. And that's, uh, and that's not to be dismissed. I don't want to say that, you know, in, in a joking way or, you know, oh, hey, you know, B2B is just, you know, old and overweight and, and stuck in their ways, it, it really is hard to change. And I think one of the hardest, the, the reasons that it is so hard is because there is a trust factor. And when you've built a business on principles or activities that have driven results for that long, yeah, it's it's hard and it's scary. It's risky to go, to go do new things. But, you know, r- the reward is always on the other side of the risk. You know, everything you want is on the other side of fear. Um, so great wrap up. Um, well, MJ, as we, as we kind of wrap down here, tell folks just a little bit. So if they, if they want to find you, uh, where can they do that? LinkedIn, all that information, and then a little bit of blurb about Firetrace, and then, uh, we'll get ready to wrap up. Cool. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I am pretty active there. MJ Peters, and I accept all connection requests. So feel free to connect. I'm on Twitter at underscore MJ Peters. And I also host a show about industrial marketing. It's called The Industrial Marketing Show with my co-host, Matthew Chanella. So you can check us out there as well. Firetrace, you know, if you, uh, if you happen to own a bunch of CNC machines or a wind turbine or something that wants to catch fire and you want a little extra protection, we're at firetrace.com. And our social channels are all linked to on our website. So you can check us out there. Excellent, excellent. Well, I, I can vouch. I follow MJ on LinkedIn and actually found her after listening to a webinar that you were a guest on. Uh, Great content. I wish my LinkedIn game was as good as yours. So definitely go follow MJ if you do not. And I will put some links into the show notes as well uh, to MJ's profile, to her Twitter account, Firetrace, any any other uh, links will be down there as well. 
um, as some resources on our company, click.io. Uh, if you're interested in learning about sales enablement solutions or how you can continue to build out your tech stack, we'd love to talk to you as well. I'll, so I'll include resources there. Um, if you're listening to us for the first time, thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, if you're finding the content valuable, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Um, if you find it actionable and insightful, give us a good rating. That's also what helps other listeners find our content. And we hope to have you back for the next episode. So MJ, thanks again for joining. Thank you very much.